Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast indeed. How are you doing today? I'm alright. It's I, I always t- tell what day it is when we uh, when we record when you ask me that question. So it's Tuesday for anyone that was interested. Uh, but yes, I'm quite well on this Tuesday. How are you? I'm okay, yes. Um, nothing much to report. Uh, nothing interesting apart from um, obviously the big news that Microsoft has purchased Activision. Yes, we've had a few discussions about that this week, haven't we? Yes, I think that's uh, something to keep an eye on, something that may send shockwaves through the gaming industry, but we'll see. But other than that, nothing to report. No, I mean, that's not our lives, so that says it all, doesn't it? Yes. Right, okay. So today, we are here to talk about... The Orange Box, and more specifically, Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Um, now, I suppose the caveat with this one is that it appears on the list as part of the Orange Box. but Same as with Portal, wasn't it? Yeah, so we've decided to separate the game out and do its own episode, and we'll do the same thing for Half-Life 2 Episode 2, except that we'll probably chuck in Team Fortress at the same time. So I suppose once we've done all the Orange Box games... We can then have a discussion about whether the the orange box deserves to be on the list uh, with everything included. But today specifically, we're talking about Half Life Two Episode One. Um, so a bit of background: Half Life Two Episode One within the orange box comes at number twenty two on the Metacritic Top One Hundred list. It has a score of ninety six, and interestingly, it was first released in June. 2006 so looking at a game that's 15 16 years old at this point um okay do you have any history at all with this game no not not really um obviously it was uh, it's a valve game and we've we've discussed this with um the the first two half-life games we've discussed in portal but really my only experience with with valve games um is portal and then the Left for Dead series. Other than that, nothing. So this was my first time playing it, as it was with uh, the other Half-Life games. What about you? I have completed, um, I've completed all of all of the Half-Life games, with the exception of Half-Life Alex. Um, I think this is this was the third time that I completed Half-Life Two Episode One. Um, but we have, obviously, for the podcast, played through Half-Life One, Half-Life Two. And now Half-Life 2 Episode 1. So we're kind of going in chronological order for these games. Um, Yeah, I have uh, completed it before. I always remembered it as the weakest of the Half-Life 2 games. And I think I kind of stand by that. Um, So where did you play Half-Life 2 Episode 1? So I I played it on, on the Xbox 360 version of the orange box collection so the physical disc but i played it on my xbox one x um mostly just because i've just set up a new 
um, monitor and stuff in, in my spare room. And I fancied playing it on my new monitor, so I didn't play it on the Series X this time around. But to be honest with you, I don't think there are that many differences between the running it on a Series X and running it on an Xbox One X, to be fair. I'm no, guessing I, you, I doubt. You, you did it on the Series, didn't you, Series X? Yeah, I did it on the Series X, so I think the only real differences you're going to get are, I suppose, RNG elements. I know you had some issues with certain characters, which I'm sure we'll get into, which I didn't really encounter, but I think that was just more of a random thing really um okay so would you like to give us a rundown of the plot for this game and i suppose briefly the plot of half-life 2 yeah so to be honest with you i can't really even remember the plot of half-life 2 that well um i, I just remember that it was um that there was was it some kind of invasion in half-life 2 and you had to go to the citadel and then it was going to blow up and that's where the game ended yeah so it's a bit it's a bit cloudy for me as well so you you start off in um city 17 you're playing as gordon freeman the uh character from half-life one and first of all you get oh you, you're escaping the city and you go outside and then you go to um various places and you pick up the gravity gun and you meet dog and you meet alex obviously um and then you go to that prison i can't think of its name um and all the objectives throughout this are kind of lost on me and then you eventually go back to the citadel um yeah that's that's kind of uh that's well, not necessarily the plot of half-life 2 with, but it's what you do with, with half-life 2 i remember saying during our episode on it that the the narrative storytelling wasn't it didn't really stand out to me there was a lot of environmental storytelling with half-life 2 yeah. And I think with Half-Life 2 Episode 1, they've switched it up a bit and it does feel like it's a bit more narrative because it takes place right at the end of um, Half-Life 2 where the Citadel is about to blow up and the the main premise of the game is that at the start, your advice, you need to get a far, as far away from the Citadel as possible because it's going to blow and it's going to destroy all of the um, all of the surrounding areas, which I think is City 17 and all of the people that are within it. But then you and Alex go into the Citadel instead of running away and mess around with like the, the reactor or the core, and you basically increase the fuse, meaning that people have got more time to get away. So it's infiltrating the Citadel and then escaping the Citadel with some combine information, the combine of the, the military force that are, that really the primary enemies of this game you steal some information and the rest of the game is you trying to escape the city before the citadel blows with the combine in pursuit uh, because you you've stolen this information on that they don't want you to have and the game ends with the citadel pretty much blowing up and it's it's very much a cliffhanger ending i'd say with you escaping on a train uh, but everything yeah. just going to pot around you. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's quite simple. It's um, yeah, you you are effectively the whole game is you um, escaping from the citadel, and yeah, you're doing some stuff with the reactor first, and then you're going underneath the city, and then you're going into the city streets, and then you finally get the train out of there. And throughout the journey, um, you for the most part have Alex alongside you, which is a bit of a change from the first game where you spend much 
of the game alone. When I say the first game, I don't mean Half-Life 1. I mean Half-Life 2. Uh, so that's going to get confusing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got Alex alongside you. And, and I think probably the thing... I know that practically in terms of the AI, I know you had some annoying uh, experiences with Alex, but I think one of the things that humanises um, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 is Alex. And she's kind of got this commentary about what's going on. She's reacting. Um, and the facial animation is quite nice for the time, given that this game is, like I said, um, 15 and a half years old. And one of the things I noticed is that Alex's head tracking is really quite realistic. If you, I mean, there's, there's a conversation early on where um, I think you're on a, a call to the scientist, I can't think of his name. Eli, Dr. Kleiner. Dr. Kleiner, that's it, Dr. Kleiner. So you're on, you're on, you're on a video call to him and you have freedom to move around during this video call, but every now and again, Alex casts a glance back at you and I thought I'd test this out. So I was crouching, I was jumping on top of the monitor, but each time she would realistically glance at me, she wouldn't, you know, like sometimes even in games today, um, with head turning and tracking, they look in the wrong direction or the eyes yeah. looking in the wrong way. But here it was really nicely done. And I think Alex's behavior, not necessarily during the actual gameplay, but the fact that she's presented as this very kind of real character, especially for the time, that was the thing that people took away from this. And people fell in love with Alex, um, which is why we got Half-Life Alex. So I think that kind of sums it up. It's, it's this escape from City 17 with Alex. And that's it, really. It really doesn't last very long between... I'd say between two and three hours you'll be playing this. Yeah, I mean, and... I, I, I looked on how long to beat... what before I started playing and it said four to six and I was like alright I'll probably get that to down to about three and a half four but I think my finishing time was about two and a half hours I think mine was two and a half as well um, yeah, so, it's, it's effectively just say, DLC yeah uh, which which we'll get to I'm glad you I'm glad you said that um, but yeah it was it was considered as the name suggests episodic content for Half-Life 2 so you had the big bulky Half-Life 2 experience, which was a long experience, quite a long experience for a shooting game. Mm. And then you had the episodic content, which was uh, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Episode 2. Episode 2, from what I remember, is longer than Episode 1, though. But it was a way that they could use the same engine and continue the story without having to um, obviously start from scratch, yeah. which they would have had to do with a potential Half-Life 3, which we never, ever got. Um, so... It was interesting, and we'll, we'll come back round to that later on, so keep that in your mind, listener, and you as well. <laughs> I shall. Um, okay, I want to get straight to the meat and bones here, which is um, Gameplay is King, our ever-present feature. Is Half-Life 2, Episode 1, fun to play? Yeah, it's, it's alright. I think um, I don't have anything different to say from our Half-Life 2 episode. and I, I looked the other day to when we recorded that and that was actually in July last year it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we played that it doesn't feel like summer last year it's not, it's not too long is it no no but it, it, it feels it. like in it, January so it, it feels like it was um, less time ago I suppose but I, my, my feelings haven't really changed this is more of the same with Half-Life 2 Episode 1 it's pretty much the same thing 
as Half-Life 2, like we said, it is effectively DLC. And it is fun. And, you know, there, there is, um, there's a good amount of weapons on on show, which I know that you mentioned during our Half-Life 2 episode, the, the variation of different weapons you can get. But the thing that I found problematic this time around was that there just wasn't enough ammo. And it was very easy to run out. But on the whole, particularly using things like the Gravity Gun, it is a fun game. It's a very stripped-down version of Half-Life 2. But that isn't to say that it is... Oh, no. I don't think it is as good as Half-Life 2. In, in certain ways it is, in certain ways it isn't. But it's still fun, I'd say. Where, where do you stand on it? Uh, the, the phrase I'd use is there's fun to be had um, yeah. with the game. And it all depends on... I suppose, um, how you want to play it. And as with Half-Life 2, it gives you a lot of options, as you said, in terms of the guns, in terms of the gravity gun, which is always a blast. Um, but what it lacks, I think, and I think maybe this is what you're getting at, when it, if, if it was compared to Half-Life 2, is you just don't have the opportunity to, um, to use the guns and the array, array of weaponry yeah. and all the physics stuff as much as you do in Half-Life 2 because that's a, a longer like game. I said, a fully-fledged game and this is kind of like a, a what do they call it, a vertical slice? Yes. It's kind of like a vertical slice of the Half-Life experience. Um, so there are a few moments where you'll get to, to try things out but I think you'd have to really go out of your way to spend a lot of time in the game if you really wanted to Put the weapons to the test in that way but it's still fun um it, it it doesn't add anything new really although um it's worth noting that it they they did improve the lighting mod model here for the game so that the lighting was better here than in half-life 2 and there's also a new enemy in the um the zombie with the grenade um the combine that's zombie really yeah and that's really all all she wrote there's not much added here no so it is all about the narrative experience and this escaping the city um do you have a favorite move or would that be the same as with half-life 2 i think during the half-life 2 episode i said the gravity gun and that would stay the same this time around except using the gravity gun in the early stage of the game when it gets kind of zapped by the reactor inside the citadel which makes it a lot more powerful you only have it like that for maybe about 20 minutes or so but it's a really fun way to use the, the gravity gun and that's definitely the highlight of the game I think there's so much you can do with it it's it's the best thing to use I'd say what, what do you think yeah um, I think I said in the Half-Life 2 episode the crossbow um, I wouldn't say the crossbow here because you don't get it until really late on yeah so uh, I used it maybe once throughout the whole game and then I ran out of ammo as you said <laughs> so it was useless to me um, but yeah, I'd agree. The gravity gun, especially towards the beginning where it's uh, super powered and you not only use it for environmental puzzles, but you can also blast um, soldiers with it. So I think I'd agree there. I think it's the best one. And when you do lose the power of the gravity gun, it feels like a real blow because you just can't do anything. You can just fire bits of the environment at enemies, but you can't blast them with it anymore and send enemies flying at each other and stuff like that so yeah you feel like, like you've lost. been stunted a lot yeah yeah so i suppose that's a critique in some ways they've given you this power but they take it away um 
and it made the game a lot more fun. Now, in terms of the design, we we we, we mentioned Alex. Um, now, what you get, the way it's structured, is as we said, you start the game in the Citadel, and within the Citadel, you've got all this uh, this fun stuff with the gravity gun, and you've got some nice environmental puzzles. I would say that this is my favourite bit of the game, the first, say, half hour, and I think after that, when you when you start using normal guns and you have to keep switching out the gravity gun for a normal gun just so you can do damage, and then back to the gravity gun, and you have to feel the, um, I can't think what they're called, my, my brain is not working today, the, 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 the insect things. The, the antlions. Yes, the antlions. You have to fill the antlion holes with cars. Yeah, cars. So you're constantly switching backwards and forwards between the gravity gun and a normal gun. Yeah. Um, and that can get a bit annoying, but I think the first, say, half hour is the most enjoyable, and it's the game at its most interesting, I'd say. Um, yeah, it, it gets very samey after that. And, I, I mean, I think one of the standout parts of the game is when you're... Um, you're underground and you're waiting for the lift to start working and then yeah. you've got loads of zombies and loads of creatures coming at you in the dark and you've got to survive until memorable. the lift arrives I thought that was quite a cool moment but that was quite short lived yeah my my issues after that section in the citadel are that the areas just feel a bit too much like Half-Life 2 yeah now for me an episodic game should be exploring something different something new a new area but you have this long long section where you are underneath city 17 you're supposed to be escaping from the city but you the player have no real idea of what direction you're going in or whether you're escaping or not you just seem to be underground for a very very long time and there are good moments within that, like you say, that moment where the lights are off and you've got the zombies all around you. It's a cool moment, but it's it kind of just goes, yeah, it just just goes on a bit too long. And then you go up into the city, but then if you remember Half Life Two before the finale, there's a big long section where you're trawling through the city. So to me, that was just reminiscent of that, and I thought I've seen this before, and. There are some better moments. I quite like the final final um, battle with the Stalker. I think that's quite fun. Um, but, yeah. I think a question that I was asking myself in 2022, apart from narratively where it does play an important role, was, did this game as a game need to exist? And ultimately, I think for the narrative repercussions, it did. But in terms of the gameplay, I don't think it really added much for me. Well, I mean, from a narrative perspective, you, you've got the insight because you've played episode two, whereas I haven't. So for me, this was my first experience and like it left it on a cliffhanger. So obviously there, w there will be a sequel. I know, you know that there's going to be that anyway, because I know that it exists because we live in the future. But... I, I I don't know. I know that the the whole bit of information that you stole from the combine is a big part of episode two, but I I don't know. Like I felt if they wanted to tell that story, they could have done something bigger. Um, I like I I give it the equivalent of 
Star Wars, you hear in uh, in the original Star Wars that to get the Death Star plans, many Bothans died, and it was traumatic. But you never really hear anything until Disney created Star Wars Rogue One in 2016, and you see the entire process of them stealing the Death Star plans, and it's epic. And I feel that if there's it's a similar story, you know, you're stealing some information about the the, the bad team or, or the bad guys. It just felt like it could have been bigger and it was just, oh, we've just found this by accident. Okay, let's go and do this, same old, same old, and do this, same old, same old. And, you know, do the, uh, do the bit where you're doing a, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, where you're, you're you're guiding the the ferrying, yeah, ferrying the um the rebels between. I have that in my notes. A shack and it's just tedious. And you you warned me about that yeah. section, but yeah, I th- I feel that this game has a lot of unspent potential. Yeah. So, uh, how would you describe that ferrying if you were to describe it to someone that didn't know what it was? It's effectively. Hey, Gordon. Here's point A. Here's the road between and there's point B you need to get these people from point A to point B and they can't die and also we're going to throw loads of things at you but you have to do that four or five times and it just gets tedious like the first or second time it's fine but you said to me it it felt like padding and I agree with that 100% it's just it got boring and like I think the the second to last time I was like oh, I might just save it and turn it off for the day because I was I was bored, and yeah. it shouldn't be like that when you're playing a game like Half Life Two. Not not when you're playing a game which is two and a half to three hours long as it is. There yeah. should be absolutely no padding in there. Every second should be dynamite, but it wasn't. So, yeah, I think. I think Half Life Two Episode One was really a safe episode for them and they were kind of testing what they could do and um, seeing how they could continue using that engine and basically looking at the potential. Now, I don't want to overhype Half-Life 2 Episode 2, but for me, it answers a lot of the problems or the critiques that I have with Episode 1, which is um, you get to go to new areas, areas that you've not seen in a Half-Life game before and the story is there's more narrative there and it feels a bit more it's definitely set piece heavy but it feels a bit more epic and it feels a bit more i suppose like you said about star wars it feels a bit more like that yeah um i don't want to overhype it because i've not played it in quite some time but that's what i remember it to be um but yeah i just yeah like I said I think it just feels like a very safe game at times the thing something else that I don't quite get is because I I didn't make any you know I didn't didn't say that I'm a big Half-Life fan before this this is the first time I'm playing these games but because it is Half-Life and because a lot of people think particularly Half-Life 2 is one of the best games ever I've been very aware of the the entire world of Half-Life and the G-Man in particular and I don't know if I've missed something, but he just doesn't seem to feature very much at all 
Like, he was in it briefly in Half-Life 1, and he pops up occasionally, you can see him. I think the same in Half-Life 2, and he pops up in the, the intro cutscene of, uh, of Episode 1. But that's all you see of him, and, and for someone that is always memed, or for someone that's always referenced in regards to Half-Life, he has, like, very, very little screen time, and I just don't find him very interesting. D- again, to, to bring it back to Star Wars, it's the thing with Boba Fett. I, I never understood why everyone loved Boba Fett so much because he was in the two last original trilogy films. He was in The Empire Strikes Back for about 15 minutes and then Return of the Jedi for about five minutes before he gets killed by Han Solo, who's blind. And everyone's like, oh, but Boba Fett's so cool. But I'm like, but is he? Because <laughs> he just isn't in it very much. And that's the feel that I get with the G-Man. He's just, I, I don't get it. I think the with the G-Man, I think it's more what he represents, which is this kind of mysterious force. Yeah, he's like um, um, it's always there. He's like the uh, what's the actor's name that plays um, uh, in in the Matrix? Uh, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving in the Matrix, but it's feels like the G-Man should be in it more. You know? Yeah. In Half-Life 1, if you remember, he would just turn up yeah. randomly throughout and he'd be in the background and you'd just see him. I think that was quite nice, um, laying the breadcrumbs. And I think they're still doing that. But at some point, you need to come to a payoff. They obviously haven't got there here. I can't, I, full disclosure, I can't remember what happens um, with the G-Man in Half-Life 2 Episode 2. And I'm not sure if it's resolved there because famously, spoilers... Half-Life 2 Episode 2 ends on a huge cliffhanger. <laughs> so, yeah. which will probably never be answered. But, yeah, so I, I can't say whether that will be answered or not. Um, but I get your frustration that you feel like more should be done with him. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I just don't get the whole thing with Half-Life, I think. And I think a, a part of it is because it was overhyped and I heard about how amazing it was for so long. The kind of it could never live up to what my expectations of it would be. And to me, it just feels like maybe not a middle of the road first person shooter, but it isn't special. I think Half-Life is a, is a strange game and it's kind of unique in a lot of ways. Um, Whether that makes it great or not will differ depending on your perspective, but it came I think the I think Half Life Two came was it I think it was late two thousand and four, um, and obviously this came out in June two thousand and six. It might have been two thousand and five. The, the, the Half Life Two. Yeah. But it came at this very strange point in gaming between uh, generations. If you are looking at the consoles, so kind of between um, the Xbox and the Xbox three sixty, the PS two and the PS three, and what you got. Um, for example, between the PS2 and the PS3, you got a big leap in, in graphical yeah, fidelity. Big and this middle ground was Half-Life. It was kind of doing it before the next-gen consoles came out. And there's there's the famous port of Half-Life 2 to the original Xbox, which was a, a graphically inferior port, but it existed. Um, and I th- 
think between the PS2 and the PS3, for example, it could be the, the Xbox and the Xbox 360, you saw a real change in first-person shooters. Um, so things like Time Splitters turned into your Call of Duties, which became the norm and is still the norm in 2022. Yeah. Um, and you've got Half-Life that doesn't really fit either mould. It's not a Time Splitters, but it's also not a Call of Duty. So one of the first things that you probably noticed and I definitely noticed was that even though we played Half-Life 2 not that long ago, the controls threw me again. And I was thinking, okay, where's my aim down sights? Um, <laughs> no, I, I didn't find that this time, to be honest with you. Um, you're, you're, you're on your own with that one, sadly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, I've been playing some first-person games recently and it threw me again. Maybe, because... I've not played an FPS game for a while. Like I, I was saying to you, at the same time as playing uh, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, I've been playing Disco Elysium on the Switch. So they're very, very different games. So maybe it was a bit easier for me to slide into it because I didn't have anything else on the go at the time, perhaps. Yeah, I've just finished a game called Chernobylite, which is a, a first-person shooter set within um, Pripyat, Chernobyl, and that adopts as most modern shooters do, the Call of Duty controls. Yeah. And I spent a good 20 hours playing that. So going from that to this, it threw me again. And sometimes I get it going from game to game. I mean, I usually adapt very quickly. Um, and I did adapt, I did adapt very quickly, but for a second, through you. it confused me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's what Half-Life is. It's in this strange in-between place, but also... It laid the groundwork for a Call of Duty because it was really, I think, the first major set-piece game. Um, and obviously, Call of Duty took it and ran with it. And it's it, because of that, it's a very strange game. And I think when we talk about Half-Life 2 and the episodes, we forget, actually, they're very old games now. They're not... I mean, in my mind, Half-Life 2 is still, I don't know... 10, 11, 12 years old, but it's not. It's much older than yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't seem and, that old. And I, and I think that's a compliment for it, but it, it inhabits this space that n n a handful of games really inhabit. Um, and you can't necessarily... Although its fingerprints are all over modern first-person shooters, you can't really trace them that easily because they're very much in the background of of what happens in, in modern first-person shooters. Mm. And you could much more easily say, oh, it's Call of Duty. Call of Duty is that game, Modern Warfare. Um, that was the game that influenced everything, and, and in many ways it was. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a very curious game. So it's a game from a bygone era that really was superseded quite quickly by Call of Duty, rightly or wrongly. And because of that, yeah, I, I mean... It, it's unique and depending on your perspective you might love it or you might feel it's incredibly dated and I know that many people do love it and I, and I imagine that many people playing it for the first time today would find it incredibly dated um, so it's kind of got the the worst of both worlds in that way it, it, it's a funny one and we'll see how I feel after episode 2 but yeah I'm, I'm not really getting the hype with it at the moment um, so, in terms of the audio and the visuals, anything stand out to you? Anything that you want to give a special nod to? 
Mm, not really. I think, like we said, the section in the Citadel was the the high point because it was quite varied um, as to what was going on. But then after that, it was just more of the same from Half-Life 2, run-down cities, uh, a lot of grey, and it didn't really stand out. And the music, not something that I usually say on here, but it wasn't that memorable. No, I agree. It just... If, if there was any music, I can't remember. Yeah. It, it it feels like I'm really piling on this game, saying I don't, I don't like it. And I, I didn't not enjoy it, but it just... It's just kind of passed me by, I think. I think that the nods that I give to this game would, would, would again be to those aspects of Alex, which is the, the facial animation. Yeah. Just the little details with the characterization of Alex. And... Again, this is an old game, but they kind of got facial animation right before other games were getting it right. And even early 360 PS3, you get you got all those awkward games where facial animation just did not look right. Oh, yeah. They kind 100%. of got it right here, so that it still looks quite nice today. Yeah. It's a bit cartoony. Um, and I think Alex's voice work as well is, is nice. She's a very relatable character. I can understand why people gravitated to her even more than Gordon Freeman, who is just... Well, he's a sign protagonist, isn't he? He's just, he's just yeah. there. He's a vessel. To me, she feels like the real star of the show. And I think without Alex, I quite literally think Half-Life 2 Episode 1 uh, would be, be nothing. Yeah. I think the only really strong thing it has going for it is Alex's characterization. And I like Alex. I don't love Alex, but I like her. There's something very endearing about her. Um, so you, you can see why they chose to make her protagonist in her own game. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting in to see game. what that's like when we is. get to it. Yeah, I, I don't actually know thinking about it, if she is the protagonist, but I'm guessing she is. No idea. Okay, so on to our question of the week. Um, this is this is an opportunity for us. We, we've talked about various aspects of gaming over the course of the podcast we've talked about indie games we've talked about um certain life cycles of consoles and um the progression of certain types of games but we've never really talked about dlc slash episodic content and i think this is a great opportunity to do so um so the question of the week is when did you first become aware of what I am going to call add-on content, and what's your favourite piece of add-on content? Probably additional content. I mean, I my first knowledge of add-on content is Oblivion with the the horse arm, which was a load of rubbish. But it, it, it's it's hard because some some developers and some studios will really put a lot of effort into DLC and add-on content. And some will just do it for the sake of it and others will be just a little bit middle of the road. And I think the main question you have to ask yourself with DLC is why are they doing it? So if it's just to get more money, then it probably isn't going to be that good. But if it is because of a gen genuine love of the, the world or what they've crafted, then it will be potentially somewhat decent. And I mean, the big one that stands out for me is the fact that Take-Two and Rockstar haven't done anything with GTA 5 
and it was leaked that there was supposed to be DLC, story DLC for GTA 5 and they never did it because they were too busy with GTA Online and how that's making them billions of dollars which is fair, it's a business model and that's what Take-Two are, they're a business but you then throw that back a few years to GTA 4 with yeah, the I was going to say the same thing Yeah, with the, the DLC that they released um, The Lost and the Damned and Gaitoni the Ballad of Gaitoni the and the yeah. they were really really good and they really kind of wove into the story of GTA 4 itself like marrying up with certain sections with Nico and it really really stood out but as good as that is there's always one that I think completely trumps it and it might be obvious it might not but it's it's another Rockstar game, and that's um, Red Dead Redemption and Dead Nightmare. That is an entirely separate game to Red Dead Do Redemption. Do you remember my experience with Undead Nightmare playing for the podcast? Oh, yeah, you played a bit of it, didn't you? And you had, you had the I issues started with it playing out. it, and then I ran into a, a game-breaking glitch, and then yeah. I just gave up. But yeah, no, it doesn't take away from the fact that the game is very good, but uh, yeah. That, it I jaded it slightly for you. I see that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th- th- there is other good DLC content, and there is you know DLC content that's absolutely trash. And I mean, some of some of my favourite games will have it, and I'll be like meh. And then some games where I'm not as bothered will have it, and I'll be like, oh, actually, yeah, that was all right. And some DLC that I haven't played because I've not played it since it came out is um, the DLC they um, released for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm that fussed about that, to be honest with you, which is weird to say because it's Final Fantasy VII is a game I never shut up about. But I eh. imagine you'll give it a try at some point. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, Red, Red Dead Redemption and Dead Nightmare um, takes the medal for me, I'd say. But Lost in the Damned and uh, Ballad of Gay Tony are certainly up there as well. Okay. Um, what what, yeah, what do so you reckon? I just think it's, um, it's interesting because... Um, at one point, this additional content was quite unheard of. It was a very, very new thing. Yeah. And now, it's um, it's so so widely seen everywhere. We have we still have season passes. I remember when there was a bit of friction towards season passes and every game using them. And now it's become uh, quite normal for big games to have a season pass. Um, similarly to you, the game that I remember, um first having additional content was Oblivion but it wasn't the horse armor although I was aware of that but it was the large um, expansion which was Shivering Isles yeah and I remember when playing Oblivion I read a review of Shivering Isles and I read this review that said um, basically it refreshes everything about Oblivion it's like everything that Oblivion the main game does but better Um, then I played Shivering Isles many years later and, and I found it a bit hollow and I much preferred the main game of Oblivion um, so that was my first expansion that I bought and I think they did have noble uh, ideas for it noble aspirations but it just didn't land for me but the, the game that I think is um, it's a game that's on this list actually a game that we've not played yet um, The Witcher 3 has an expansion called Blood, Blood and Wine, Wine. And um, within that expansion, you you quite literally go to a, a new land called Toussaint. And this land is completely different from 
everything that you've seen in The Witcher before. And Toussaint's a bit like this uh, Disney castle-esque land. And it's much brighter, prettier, but it also has this undertone of sleaze and wine and blood debauchery and it, it, it's so good and, and that is it that is an example of an expansion that i think does it better than the main game like once you go to Toussaint, you won't want to go back to the main yeah. world um so that's a great one and when we do get around to it i'd encourage you to maybe dip into that and just to see what it's like um yeah so that that's probably my favorite one i just thought it'd be interesting to have a discussion about expansion yeah 100 percent. there's a lot of good stuff out there we're going to end on 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 the question which is does again we're not talking about the orange box yet we will get there but half-life 2 episode 1 does half-life 2 episode 1 deserve to be on the list i don't think so you've got half-life and half-life 2 on the list which are better than half-life 2 episode 1 and maybe i'll change my tone once we play episode 2 but I mean, the fact that it's on here because of the Orange Box collection is the reason that it's here, obviously. I think if it was on its own, I'd be a bit like, what? Why? But, yeah, um, you know, it, 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 it's on as part of the Orange Box, and the Orange Box is it's an interesting little thing in and of, its, in of itself. Uh, but as, as a standalone game, no, I wouldn't say so, really, at all. What do you think? I would agree with you. I think um, I said this game is a very safe game. I think it is a very safe game. I think the risk with this game actually was not in the game itself, but it was in the release of this episodic content, which, as I say, wasn't this accepted thing at the time. It was it was something new. new. You didn't know if there was going to be buy-in for it, which is, I think, why they're a bit more ambitious with episode two. Um, so there was a risk there making this game wasn't entirely safe even if the game itself was quite safe um but i don't think as a standalone piece of content i don't think it deserves to be there um by itself when as you say you've got half-life 2 and you've got the orange box as part of the orange box half-life 2 episode 2 um I think this is the one that we could quite easily lose. And I think I said, I don't know if I, I can't remember it, but I think my conclusion with Half-Life 1 was that it was a very, very important game. Um, same as Ocarina of Time. Yeah. It came out around the same time, didn't it? Yeah, but I didn't enjoy playing it that much, I seem to recall, I said. No. Um, which is true. I didn't really enjoy playing it that much. I think mm. it was okay. But, um, and I played it before as well, but neither time had I enjoyed playing it that much but it is a very important game and I'd be blind to say otherwise um so yeah I think I think this game could quite easily be lost but I do I like Alex and I like what she adds to the game but if we could have kind of got there if we could have skipped this game and got there to that point without yeah. this game that I'd have been fine too no I know what you mean it's, it's a funny one I think it's um yeah, like like we said, we have to take into consideration that this, this isn't a standalone game on the list. It's part of the orange box. Yeah, and and part of it's down to the way that we decided to um, to look at the games because we we obviously did Portal very early. I mean, perhaps we should have done the orange box as a single video, uh, podcast episode, but 
I mean, it would have been very long. And I don't know if that would have been right either. I don't think there was a right way to do it. But but yeah. there's certainly not a wrong way to do it. No, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the way that we've done it anyway. Uh, <laughs> and eventually we'll get to Half-Life 2 Episode 2 and Team Fortress. And then you can hear our final thoughts on the orange box as a whole, which I'm sure you're clamouring to hear. Um, okay. So I think that wraps up Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Yes. What is coming up on the podcast, please? I think we're, we're going to be uploading for the next um, next two weeks. Uh, next week we have got Street Fighter 3 Alpha, isn't it, next week? Correct. Yes. So next week we're doing Street Fighter 3 Alpha. So I didn't need any confirmation on that. I knew that. I uh, was just testing Dan, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're and doing Street Fighter 3 Alpha, and then the week after that we're doing a bit of a longer game, so we're just giving ourselves a bit of time to play through that. But yes, Street Fighter 3, I think it's only the second um, arcade fighter that we've played on the list so yeah, far, isn't it, other Tekken. than Tekken 3? Yeah, that's it. So, Are there any more Tekkens on the list? No, it was just Tekken 3. There's a few more fighting games on the list, though, aren't there? Yeah, well, the number three rated game of all time, I think it's number three, is Soul Calibur. Yes. And there's a Virtua Fighter 4 on the list? Virtua Fighter 4 as well, my first ever PS2 game. We've really left these fighting games to the end, haven't we? Why is that, Dan? I don't think think that's... I don't know, I don't mind fighting games. I don't think that's deliberate. I think some of these games are definitely deliberately left to the back. Sports games. Yeah. Strategy we've, games. We, we've we've got quite a few big games still left to do though that I'm excited for. I was thinking earlier that I'd I'd, I'd love to play Skyrim again soon, um, just because I was it's watching a video on it on YouTube yesterday. But that'll be a conversation for off air when we're doing our, our scheduling. Cycle of five games, we can do that maybe. Perhaps. But you don't need you, the listener, do not need to hear us planning ahead. No. <laughs> this is a conversation for not not the podcast. That's correct. So. As usual, you can get to us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and email us at longandshortfitpodcast.hotmail.com. As I said last time, if you listen on Spotify and you'd be as so kind as to rate us, it would be massively appreciated. It just means that we can get our dulcet tones into the ears of more potential listeners who might enjoy our content. But yeah, that's all I've got to say for this week. Um, anything else from you today? No, that's it from me. Lovely. Well, we shall see you next week for Street Fighter 3 Alpha. And in the meantime, take care and we'll see you on the next one. Cheerio. See you on the next one.